Thanks, James. Well, we're back into the parables, and we're going to spend uh, this summer exploring the Gospels, because parables are real-life stories. They're uh, illustrations, real-life situations, often um, events, places, people that uh, Jesus' audience could relate to, that taught spiritual truth. And this morning, we're going to look at one that um, uh, I was thinking it was going to be read one way or interpreted one way and discovered that it's going to be interpreted a different way. But you'll understand when I get to it, because my bias in this particular parable is toward compassion as opposed to judgment, yet the parable is about judgment. And so I began my studies trying to really force my interpretation, my bias onto the parable rather than being fair to what Jesus is saying, and yet what comes out of my studies and what I believe Jesus is saying is a tremendous balance between compassion and judgment. And I'll explain what I mean. Let's read it. Matthew chapter 13. And if you have a Bible or if you have a, um, a phone, you might want to turn to uh, 1324. It's a short parable. And it's one that we don't often uh, dive into. And actually, I've never heard anybody teach on this parable and uh, let alone give a solid uh, explanation of what this parable means to us as the church. The kingdom of heaven is to be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares also became evident. The slaves of the landowner came and said, Sir, do you want us to sow the good seed in your field? How does that... Um, how then does it have tares? How are we going to sow good seed, reap the harvest, if there's tares in the field? He said to them, an enemy has done this. The slave said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? He said, nope. For a while you are gathering the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest and in the time of the harvest I will say to the reapers first gather up the tares bind them in bundles to burn but gather the wheat into my barn and therein is the parable but Jesus goes on and in verse 36 the crowds leave he enters a house his disciples come to him and say we don't get that parable the weeds and the weeds, the weeds and the tares, they're to grow up together. What does that mean? Like, what are you trying to say, Jesus? And so Jesus says, here is the explanation. The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. And the field is the world. And as the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. And the tares are the sons of the evil one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is at the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. 
So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so it shall be in the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels and will gather out his kingdom, all stumbling blocks and all who have committed lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and the righteous shall shine forth as the Son in the kingdom of the Father he who has ears, let him hear. And so we have one of these very drastic, very powerful parables which seem to be about the end. And this end judgment seems to be the focus. It seems to be the predominant idea. Yet in first pass in verse 29, that's what caught me. Don't pull up the weeds. Don't pull up the weeds. We all want to pull up the weeds. We all want to get rid of weeds. It's much better to have grain, to have the wheat. Yet what we're hearing is that the farmer, the son of man, Jesus himself, says, I will send divine reapers at one day in the future, and I will deal with the weeds. It's not your job. Your job is to coexist with the weeds. Did you get that? I think that's the point of the parable. Often, we feel like the parable is weighted towards judgment. And, and it is. It does have judgment in it. But I see so much more in the parable defining our role in the world today. And this is a parable that is describing what does the church look like today in the world. And Jesus is describing that and giving us our role. Is that, is that clear? That's what we want to look at this morning. I think uh, the wheat and weeds will grow up side by side. That's clear that Jesus is saying. The wheat have been planted. The enemy comes along and puts the weeds, the, 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 the seeds of the weed and, and they grow up alongside, and you can't tell the difference. And we are told not to pull up the weeds. And I think in the midst of this parable, Jesus is teaching us to be long-suffering until the day, until the final day, to grow as wheat, to be fruitful as wheat among the weeds until the final day when all will be accounted for. That's the whole point of the parable. Your job is to do your part, which is to be wheat in the world. Jesus' job is to separate things out in the end. Not our job. That is not our job. That's not my job. Is that clear? I mean, I think we have to come back to this. The central idea of the parable is that the kingdom of God is like followers of Christ being sown among weeds in the world until the great and mighty day of final judgment. Yes, this parable is about judgment, but it also causes us to think deeply about our role in the world and among weeds. I mean, there's a level of compassion in my heart towards weeds. I don't like weeds. The enemy has sown these weeds. They're stumbling blocks. They, they, they act in lawless ways. But in one sense, weren't we all weeds? 
I mean, the parable is not about converting the weeds. But it most certainly stops us to think and to consider hard about our role in the world as wheat in relationship to the weeds. And that forces me to think deeply about those in the world who might be weeds, separated from Christ. I mean, if I truly believe that being related to Christ is the most important decision a person will ever make in their life because it sets their eternity. Literally, your entire life and eternity is determined based upon one relationship. And if you pass up that moment, Jesus is saying that in the end, there will be a great separation. And you will look back and truly regret it. And that causes concern. Now, can I be frank with you? We're friends, right? I mean, we know each other a long time. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're called to unity, love and edification of others and all of that. And yet I want to really ask us to do something today. And that is to stop judging the world. We are not here. We are to quit getting dragged into ideological debate with the world when it comes to Christians versus the world. It's not our job. That's what Jesus is saying. That is not our job. Our job is to be wheat in the world, to grow and become fruitful, to show grain, to show the world the difference between weeds and wheat. It's the way in which you live your life that that will happen. And yet we get dragged into these ideological debates we're not on this world to wage a world against evil and differing ideologies. We often feel it's our God-given duty to stomp it out and stomp out these ideologies and pull out the tares and clean up the earth from all these dastardly weeds. It's Jesus' job, not ours. It's what the parable's about. His work, he will work it all out in the end. But we get so angry at about political positions that is different than ours, an ideology that we feel is anti-Christian, and fight for the sake of justice, what is right, to defend Jesus and his kingdom against the evil world. And I'm not suggesting to stay out of the dialogue, and I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't fight for rights or freedom that you believe in, or stand up for others. Be a good citizen. Voice your opinion. Stand up for what you believe. Just do it with a little compassion and love and acceptance for others on the other side of your views. And be aware, that, be aware that our job on this earth is not to pull up weeds that the evil has planted. We will live with the weeds in the weeds until Jesus returns. Shadi Hamad is a prof, uh, prof, professor of Islamic studies at, at Fuller Seminary. And he wrote in The Atlantic an article entitled America Without God. And in the article, he describes how this religious fervor in America has become now political fervor. A religious faith has declined. Ideological intensity has risen. And I'm, writing, I'm reading all these articles describing this new movement in the Christian community to fight against the world and these evil ideologies. And yet we are. We're to fight for victims. We're to fight for others, aren't we? I mean, my niece 
is part of international justice ministry that um, helps women that are trafficked in India. I mean, that's a good organization. It's a good thing. It's to rescue people. That's a good thing. But we can do it in a way that's not pulling the weed out. We can't, we're not going to, it's not, we're not going to be able to do that. But we are going to be able to make a difference. And a lot of times we get really worried and anxious and upset and we're bothered. And yet what we find is that Jesus has it all under control in this passage. And let me talk about wheat in the world a minute. And then I'm going to look at two ideas. And this is a very sensitive topic. Last week, Roe v. Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court of the United States, declaring it unconstitutional, pushing abortion rights to each individual states. And this has caused great exuberance from the pro-life advocates and anger and a sense of betrayal for the pro-choice advocates. Emotions are high right now. They are. We understand that. But I want to encourage us as wheat in the world to be humble, to be compassionate, to be loving. Always maintain a sense of humility. It is not our job. Even if you hold a particular position and your position won, to gloat as if you've won the day. Because it's not about that. It's about listening to people and their pain and their struggle. It's about understanding where people are at and the real issues of life. I heard a, an NPR interview just a couple days ago, and I can't remember who she was interviewing, but I think it was a director of a pro-life advocacy, asking the question, which was an outstanding question. And it was a civil conversation which I was delighted to hear, by the way. What will you do or your organization or organizations like yours do for, to help pregnant women in need? What will you do? And it was a beautiful opportunity here for to list all of these things. He says, uh, lots of things, but I won't list them now. And I thought, oh, gosh, you're on the air. Perfect opportunity. List a bunch of things that if that's your position, what you would do. That's what wheat would do. I, I, and I wrote them down. Listen. Be a friend. Be, support the family. Provide financially. Provide, find donors. Build organizations that will help women and families in situations where they are in dire need of help to process the decisions that they're about to make or not able to make because of poverty or other issues. Um, I thought of counseling, offering adoption options, all sorts of things. And it just seems to me that we may differ on the topic and yet Deep within my heart is a desire for compassion, even as I grow and be fruitful as a wheat among weeds that the enemy has planted to try to divert me, to try to discourage me from living out the life that Christ wanted me to live for the sake of other people. That's my job. 
And yet you may hold to a biblical conviction. I mean, I was thinking about Psalm 139 and how beautiful it says, I, I planned your life before you began to breathe. Every day was recorded in your book. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. I see in Scripture the defense of life. I see that we're made in the image of God. And yet I also want to listen and understand the complexity and understand and realize and with deep respect that even in our Christian community, we're going to have differences of opinion on that. But are we going to sit there and hate each other and be angry and fight and try to pull the other person out, apart? That's not our job. To be unified as a loving body, maybe with different views, absolutely. But if we can't come to the table and come together, then our wheat's not going to look like grain. It's going to look more like weeds. And Jesus wants us to be wheat. Be wheat in the world because the wheat is what is being planted. And how do we do that? That's what I want to look at just briefly this morning. Jesus is in charge, and we have a role. Jesus is a role. We have a role. Jesus' role is really simple in this passage. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of an enemy are going to exist, coexist side by side. The weeds are these poisonous seeds that have been planted by the enemy. And Jesus understands that. And he's going to deal with that. Yes, there is an evil force out there that is pushing against society. As Tim Keller says, the kingdom of God lives in the center of a broken reality. Evil in the world today is a cancer and an evil that is rooting out society. Yes, there are these evil movements hurting people, dehumanizing human beings from being the, represented as image bearers of God. And I think what Keller is saying is, I think what he's saying is that evil is destroying the structure of society. It's coming apart, and yet at the center of it is this field of wheat. It's the church planted by Jesus, and that's what Jesus does. He's in charge. He planted us. He knows what he's doing. He's put you right where you're supposed to be. And yet, we have these poisonous weeds that this, they're called zuzantia. Zuzanti in Greek is this bane of every wheat farmer. It's a degenerate form of wheat. It grows up and it looks just like the wheat, but it's just stock. It'll never have a grain. It'll never produce fruit. It's poisonous. It, it, it vies for nutrients and water. It will coexist. And it will look just... You will not be able to tell the difference. There's a lot of good people in the world today. It's a lot of Really, really good people doing a lot of really good things. It's a lot of bad people, too. It's a lot of Christians. It's a lot of people who think they're Christians, but don't realize they've never really made the decision for, for faith. So that's not our job. We don't know. You can't know. Our job is to be wheat. Jesus' job is to be the Messiah. And he will come one day, it says, and separate, and do the separation. But now that the kingdom of God is at hand, that's what we're to do.
And I think it should cause us to think, what, what is our role in terms of what Jesus is saying here and what Jesus' role is? I, I want to look just briefly at our role, and I want to say two things this morning. The one is long-suffering, and the other is to be fruitful. Long-suffering. Notice that a long time passes, that we will be here a long time, and things may not get better. They may get worse. We may get pulled into all sorts of dialogue and complex issues of life and wars and all sorts of things will happen. And in the context of that, Romans 8 reminds us that the world itself, creation, is groaning, longing, suffering, waiting for redemption. And so are the sons of obedience. We are all waiting for final redemption, but yet we groan, we suffer, and we will suffer. Kierkegaard adamantly contended that the mark of, a tr of, of true religion is suffering, not enjoyment. Origen, a theologian back in 254, penned these words, the key characteristic of the church in the 200s was hupomone, endurance, long-suffering. That was the key virtue that Origen saw in the early church was this ability to stand strong, to stand under pressure, to stand in a place where you may not be in the majority. You may not be understood. You may be laughed at. You may, be, you may enter into these dialogues and feel misunderstood or misrepresented. Jesus demonstrates patience and long-suffering. In 1 Peter chapter 2, we see that. And in chapter 1, and all throughout 1 Peter, we see this long-suffering. And it says that even though he was reviled, he did not revile in return. That Jesus remained patient and silent, it says in 1 Peter. He remained silent. And they, they said all of these things against him. They claimed all of this, all of these, made all these accusations. And yet Jesus remained patient and long-suffering and kind and did not return insult for insult. That's what it means to be long-suffering. The second thing that I see is to be fruitful. Farmers plant the seed for the benefit of others. They really do. They're growing a harvest to feed the many. No grain, no harvest. No harvest, people starve. We are to become the grain of the world. William Perkins said the true end of our lives is to do service to God in serving man. I think that's well said. It's not for your happiness, your personal satisfaction. It's not equality for yourself, fair taxes or fair wages, but to be grain that is fruitful for others to live for the benefit of those who have no equality, the lonely, the hurting. That's the grain. That's wheat. And that's what it means to be fruitful. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. Dr. Tom Wright has translated this particular section this way. We are the Messiah's fragrance. Before God, you see, 
to those who are being saved and to those who are being lost. To the latter, it smells, it's a smell which comes from death and leads to death. But to the former, it's the smell of life which leads to life. Be the fragrance. Be the fragrance of the aroma of the kingdom of God. The Passion says, through our yielded lives, he spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere we go. Quit stinking up Christianity with your anger and vehemence toward the Caesars and Romans and ruling classes of our day. And I do this. I do this in the privacy of my home when I turn on the TV and I get angry and my wife's sitting right next to me and I start laying into whatever it is or whoever it is and I go onto a news feed and I am so angry, I just want to reach in there and strangle somebody. And I'm glad nobody sees that. Nobody hears what I think or what I say. <laughs> because world transformation happens when we grow as wheat. The early church is, it's, it's a remarkable study. I've been reading Rodney Stark and others, Alan Kreider, on the, the ferment, the fermenting process. He calls it, and this is really a term that was, that was uh, given to him by uh, an early church writer. Um, but Alan Kreider says it's the improbable rise of Christianity in the Roman Empire, and he uses this word, the steady fermenting process. That's who we are. We're part of the steady fermenting process. And in the early church, there were very few Christians. Very, very few Christians. Acts 2 comes around, and thousands become, become followers of Christ but it's still a very, very small number. And in a very short period of time, within a few centuries, millions came to Christ. It's a remarkable study of how many actually came to Christ. And by the time of 303 and Diocletian, and then Galerius, who became the emperor in 305, he, the emperor who persecuted Christians, so many Galerius, Christians there were that Galerius said, Let's not persecute them, nor force them to pray to our Roman gods, but maybe call upon them to pray to their God for the sake of Rome and our security and that of the state. He realized the power. He realized the, the potential of the early Christians, and it was a growing population. <clears throat> My second tattoo... My first one is Festina Lente. But then I realized I'm on a blood thinner, so I probably can't get a tattoo. Um, I'm going to have to talk to my cardiologist about it. But, and I, I'm kind of embarrassed to ask him that at 61. Hey, can I go off my blood thinners and risk, you know, what's going on in the heart uh, for the sake of a tattoo? He'd probably say you're an idiot. But um, who knows? Maybe he'll let me do it. But my second tattoo is probably going to be something that Cyprian back in 256 said. Non eloquimer, magna sed uminus. That would be a great tattoo. We do not speak great things. We live them. We live them. That is a great statement. Galatians 6.10, while we have time, let us do good to all men, and in doing good, let us not grow tired. In due time, we shall reap. What's he saying? Your life will reap. A, 
not yourself, but a harvest of those that you have touched and ministered to and cared for. And that's what I love about the the river church. It's a reversed tributary idea. We're the river with all these tributaries. That's the way we started this church, is talking about how we're all tributaries out in the, in the world. And wherever you are, you're a tributary off the river, and it's a reverse tributary. We come together to bring glory to God, to hear about the great things God is doing through our lives, whether it's the pregnancy center or whether it's Danny down in L.A. Passion or Angel Ruiz and his new ministry or uh, Reignite Hope that we've been involved in. It just goes on and on and on. I mean, the Jacksons are involved in Uganda and, and, and uh, Francois and Mia are involved in a, a ministry in South Africa. And it just, and I look around and we talk, James, you mentioned Tommy last, a couple weeks ago and and being on the high school campus and Dominic, and, and, and I just look around and see people that are passionate and are giving back. That's called a reverse tributary. That's being wheat in a world, making the difference. And so what do we do? How do we do that? And recognizing the fact that there will be counter-revolutions. They're, they're led by the enemy. There's no question. That's going to happen. Everybody stay calm. Number one, don't panic, don't be afraid, and don't fight to destroy others. See, instead of panicking, just steadily grow. Continue growing in your faith and your confidence. Because, see, fruit is born not when we're anxious and we panic and we're upset, but when we're settled in and abiding in Christ, trusting him for the outcome no matter what your situation is. Number two is don't be afraid. Be courageous for others. Don't, don't shrink back. I'm not asking us to shrink back. Wheat is to be prominent. It's to be evident in the world. It, it should be something that people see and look around and go, that's wheat. Because they're courageous for other people because they do care. Don't, don't fight to destroy other people. It's not our job. Fight for others by giving yourself to their needs and concerns. That's the wheat planted in the world today. Let's pray. So, Father, as we come to the communion, we come into the presence of Christ because the bread and the juice represent in a very powerful, efficacious way, the body of Christ. And if that's true, Jesus, then you are truly present in this moment that we're about to enter into, this holy moment of coming before you to pause for a moment and recognize as we come forward to join in communion and take the cup and take the bread and receive it in ourselves, we are receiving you into us. And we're entering into a moment of being in your presence, of saying that you suffered on our behalf. You demonstrated long-suffering. You demonstrated fruitfulness of a life well-lived because you lived in obedience to Christ, to God, to your Father. And may we follow that example as we are wheat 
among weeds for the rest of our lives until, Jesus, you return. And there's also a part of me deep within me that desires and has compassion for those that are misled. Yes, those that are mistreated, but also those that are misled. Those that are wrapped up in a conversation or in an ideology or a particular point of view that is contrary, Father, to you and your heart and what you want for us as human beings. And my heart goes out to them. My desire is to know people like that and to love them. Thank you, Father, even for this last weekend of having a moment of saying hello to people that are very different than me, entering into a moment where I know there's tremendous animosity, but it was great to just say hello and demonstrate kindness instead of hatred. May we do that on a daily basis as your representatives. So as we come this morning, we come and we drop these judgments and we put on the heart of compassion and the heart of love and we grow as wheat and one day the, the harvest will be plentiful and the plentiful harvest are the people that we reach and touch with our lives in the name of Jesus, amen. So as you're ready this morning, I wanna invite you just to take a moment and enter into the presence of Christ and to come join us here at the communion table. So thank you for joining us and thank you for really being fair, uh, prayerful and open and listening and sensitive this week and compassionate and demonstrating what it really does look like to be wheat among the weeds. So thanks. So we're going to end off with a little bit of worship before we step into that communion table and ready our hearts together. So why don't you stand with me? As we sing, in Christ alone, my hope is found. of God in helpless space. 
this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save till on that cross as Jesus died the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid here in the death of Christ I live and no guilt in life no fear in death this is the power of Christ in me from life's first cry to final breath Jesus commands my destiny no power of hell no scheme of man can never block me from his hand till he returns or calls me home here in the power of Christ I stand here in the power of Christ I Worthy of every song. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. And worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. God, we live for you. Sing holy and holy.
look more like you, God, to help us build our lives upon you, God, so that we can be your wheat in this world, so that we may shine you in our actions and in our words, that you may shine, God, that you may be our peace, our love, God, our kindness, our compassion, our faithfulness, our grace, God. It is all in you, Lord. Amen. So I invite you to come to this table and take in your own time. I'll sing a couple more, more words of worship, but I invite you to the table to take in remembrance of who our God is and what he has given up for us.